Amen. You may be seated this morning. I'm glad you're here today, a week after uh, a weekend of celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our children's area is well underway uh, under construction and painting is happening. So this morning, our kids have begun with us downstairs this morning. We're going to go ahead and dismiss them. They have a couple of rooms they can go to. So kids, you're dismissed to the back hallway back here this morning. Our children's workers will be there ready to receive you. And uh, parents, you can pick them up after the service. And they're, of course, welcome to stay here in the service with us if they would like. We are excited about what God is uh, providing for us in a space for our children. Children have always been important to us here at Vertical. And what God has provided through you and those who have given, I believe we're going to have a premier space upstairs for our children to experience the presence of God, experience worship and teaching every week that helps meet them where they are, teach them the word of God and live that out in their lives. That's what we do here at Vertical Church. We lift him up. And we live him out. And we're helping children do that in our children's area. We are just hopefully weeks away from completion of that. I can't wait for you to be able to see that. Jesus is passionate about seeing resurrection occur. It's his focus. It's his desire. When he sees men, this is what comes to his mind. Resurrection. Jesus is passionate about resurrecting the dead. The scripture tells us in, in John chapter 5 that Jesus himself said, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death to life. This is what God wants to do. This is what Jesus has come to do. Because when we are born, we are born dead in sin. We are separated from God. The sin that we commit only further causes us to be far from him. And so there in our guilt, in our shame, in our fear, in our rejection, our condemnation, in all of that, God meets us with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we might be free from our sin, free from guilt, free from hurt that has happened to us, and that we live a new life now in him. This is what he is passionate about, and it is also what he has called us to be passionate about as a church. Jesus calls the church to join him in the work of resurrection. The church is not created just to have a place where we gather to pat ourselves on the back and say, good job. No, we gather to worship him. We gather to proclaim him. Amen? We gather to find the strength, the power, the courage to go from this place and make disciples. This is what we are about. We are about seeing People resurrected, people that have been caught in horrible sin, people that have been weighed down with guilt, people that have been wrapped up in fear. He calls us to take the message of hope and set them free. Amen? He calls us to do that for families, for couples, for individuals, for children, for students, for whoever. This is our call to join him in the work of resurrection. He does the work. Only he can do that. But he calls us to take his word and to be his hands and feet here to proclaim that message. It's against that backdrop that we're in the middle of a series right now we call Alive. We've been looking at stories of resurrection in the Bible. And what we've discovered is that resurrection in the physical realm is only part 
of what Jesus is after. It's one thing just to raise someone from the dead, but it is quite another to have a man or a woman's heart resurrected that has been dead. Amen? This is what resurrection is really about. So the stories of physical resurrection in the Bible are just pictures. They're just symbols for us. They are an attempt for us to grasp what it means to have a heart truly resurrected, truly come alive to God. So our passage today is Luke chapter 7. We are, uh, we're in the New Testament now looking at some stories of resurrection. We started in the Old Testament of walk forward. And of course, we saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ last week. We're in Luke chapter 7. This is earlier in Jesus' ministry. He has, uh, he's called the disciples. He's begun to go and minister. And in Luke chapter 7, we see some miracles beginning to occur. And in verse 11 through 17 we have another one of these stories. And I'm going to do something I don't normally do this morning. I'm going to read the entire passage first, and then we're going to go back and chew on it, see what what God has for us. Amen? All right? You like that, huh? All right, let's start in verse uh, 11 of Luke chapter 7. It says, Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. Now I realize in Texas we say Nain, right? If you're looking at that, Nain. Yeah, Dan, hold on the screen there. I'm going to read the whole passage, and we'll, we'll come back to it. Um, it says, And many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. Mm, Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive today that it has the power to speak, to bring life to what is dead in us, to areas that have been dormant, to places where there has been sin, to places where there's been blindness. Your word is able to speak, to bring light, to free, and to cause life to happen. I pray that will happen for each of us today. That our focus will not be on the one who's next to us, behind us, or in front of us, but on what you have to say to us through your spirit and through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 7, verse 11, we begin. As we saw, it says, Now it happened the day after that, that he went into a city called Nain, 
a very small city listed in the New Testament. It's not listed anywhere else in the Bible before or any time after. A city of somewhat maybe insignificance because it's small, because it's not mentioned much, but the people who lived there thought it was significant. There weren't many that lived there. It was uh, in a difficult place to get to. It was off the main road. If you were traveling down the main road, you wouldn't have come across Nain. You would have had to have taken the exit, gone down the highway a little ways, or down the road a little ways before you came to Ovilla. I mean Nain, right? You know what I'm talking about? We know what it's like to live in a small city off the main path, right? I'm afraid Nain was even smaller. Very small. A community. A very small community. Not many knew about it. It was difficult to get to. It was in a rugged region. You had to go down some difficult paths to get to. But this story tells us that Jesus went to Nain. He wasn't hindered by the fact that it wasn't a prominent city. He went to a small city. He, he sacrificed to get there. He didn't give in to the pressure of the crowd that's there with him. In fact, it's, it says here in the verse that the disciples went with him, and there's a large crowd. And I'm sure they're saying, hey, can't we stay on the main road? There's a lot more great places to eat. We might even come up on a Bucky's out here. But Jesus was driven. Jesus was focused. Jesus was listening to direction, not from the crowd, but from his father. Because his father was telling him, I got some place for you to go. I want you to go to this small city. I want you to take the off-road path. I want you to go where not a lot of people go. I want you to do what I've got for you to do. I want you to sacrifice. Yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, the crowds are going to complain. But I want you to go to Nain. And Jesus went there. It brings us to kind of a big point this morning already in the message. Jesus went out of his way to speak life to one who had died. You see, the father knew that in Nain there had been some death. Difficult time. Community shrouded in death. They're all mourning. They're struggling. There's a mother who's struggling. There's a son who's dead. And the father has put it specifically onto the son's heart. Jesus has it on his heart. I've got to go to Nain. I've got to get there. You know, it's one thing to read in the scripture, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is true. But the confirmation of that love shows up in very specific stories. It shows up in Jesus goes to Nain to a woman who lost her son. It's personal. It's one thing to say, Yes, I love the Lord. Yes, I love people. But the reality of that comes down to specific people that have specific names, that have specific needs. You can't say, I love people, but turn to the one who you're married to or the one that God's given you as a child or the one that you work with and just be rude, be cruel, be mean to them. Don't say, I love, if you can't love specifically. And Jesus is loving here specifically. The Father's put it on his heart to go to Nain, to one person in need. Do you know that God still does that work today? He'll put it on your heart to care for a certain person. 
Again, there's generalities, I understand. We love the Lord and we love people with all of our and we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love others as ourself. But there are times, I'm sure you've experienced this, where God puts someone on your heart. Maybe it's a loved one, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member. And you, you weren't even planning in your day to think about them. But you're going about your day and all of a sudden there's a thought. There's a, there's a moving of compassion for someone. And all of a sudden you start thinking about their situation, how they're struggling, how they're far from God, how they're not doing very well. They're caught up in some sin. They're weighed down with some guilt. They're strapped with fear. And God puts it on your heart to care for them, to pray for them, to call them, to text them, to do something because he is still in the business of speaking to us about specific people. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? You know, you're going through your day, and you're, 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 maybe you're working out in the yard, maybe you're at work, and all of a sudden you're just kind of flooded with a thought about a, a someone. And all you can feel is compassion for them, and you wonder how they're doing it, and, and you know it's God putting that thought there, and so you pray for them. He'll, he'll put their name in your heart. He'll put their face in your mind, and he's calling you, just like he called Jesus to go to Naim. The passage goes on, verse 12, and it says, And when he, Jesus, came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. Can you imagine coming up on that scene? You walk into the city, you're at the gate, the prominent place, and there's a, a funeral happening. And you can tell that there's anguish because of the crying. And, and right away, you, your eyes turn and you see it's, it's a mother who's grieving for her son. We don't know what his age is, but... Apparently he's old enough that he's referred to as a young, young man in the story. And she is crushed with grief. I can't imagine that. I've tried to think through it, but it's not the same being a dad as it would be for being a mom. And it's her only son. And I'm imagining she's, she's replaying some things in her mind while she's grieving. She's remembering the day he was born. She's remembering the joy She's remembering all the, the tears that he cried and all the joy that she had. And she's remembering difficult days, but she's remembering the joy that he brought. She's remembering watching him walk for the first time. She's remembering family being around, hearing his first word. She's imagining all of this, watching him grow, watching him learn. She's remembering all these things in this moment, and now he's gone. And she's, she's filled with grief in the moment, and she is just weighed down with it. And there's a large crowd, the passage says, from the city with her. Now, large crowd, as large a crowd as Naim could have. But they were all there because they knew one another. And she's grieving. She's lost her only son. The, the scripture goes in a little bit more detail and tells us that this situation's a little bit more difficult because 
Not only is this her only son, but she was a widow. This wasn't her first time at a funeral like this. She was at a funeral where it was her husband, the father, the one she had given her heart to, the one she had given her life to. And so not only is she replaying all of these memories with her son, she's replaying memories with her husband and them as a family, and she's thinking forward about what's next. She's alone. There's no man in the house to work. There's no man to provide. She's all alone, and I'm sure there had to be some thoughts of, God, what is going on here? How could you allow this? Where are you? What is happening to me? What is going to happen to me? And she is overwhelmed with the grief. And Jesus meets her here. Death has taken her husband. Death has taken her only son. Death has gripped her heart and death has captured the city. The the town is shrouded in death. And Jesus doesn't run from it. Jesus doesn't draw back from it. Jesus goes right to it. He goes to those hurting. He goes to those in need. He goes to the place where death has happened. Jesus went to the only place resurrection can happen, where death has occurred. You can't have resurrection if you don't go where someone's died. There can't be resurrection if you don't go to where someone has died. Until a word of life is spoken, the dead still remain dead. And Jesus went to the very place of greatest pain and loss and grief and sorrow, and he goes there. He goes into the place where death was reigning. Now, I know in our world today, we look around and we say, man, that seems like our world today. It just seems like wherever you look today, death is reigning. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. People rejecting God. People cursing God. People not wanting anything to do with the church. People angry, bitter, vile, mean. And they just seem like they're all living in a culture of death today, right? And it's difficult at times as the church, as a believer, to say, man, what do you do? Because there's a part in which you want to say, all right, family, come on. We're going to come inside the house. We're going to shut the door. Us four and no more. And the world is just going crazy out there. It's easy to want to do. To pull in. Shut the door. Isolate your heart from it. But Jesus did not shut himself off from death. He could have bypassed it. He could have gone the other way. He could have stayed on the main road, but instead he went to Naim. You with me? He went to the place where death was. He went to the place because he had the power to resurrect. 
He was the one who had gone in. He was the one who was called to set the captives free. He was the one who knew he could proclaim good news. And you can't proclaim the good news. You can't set the captives free if you don't go to where there's captives. Right? You can't just stay inside the church walls and proclaim you're setting the captives free. You've got to get out there where the captives are and set them free. You can't go help the blind see if you don't go to where the blind are. You can't go and, and speak healing to the brokenhearted if you don't get up into the business of the brokenhearted. Right? You can't set people at liberty. Those who are crushed, those who are addicted, those who are caught up in sin, you can't set them free until you go to them. And Jesus chooses to go to Nain. You and I are called to go there for, not stay there for, but in the midst of the world, in the condition that it's in, go there for. You've been given the word of truth. Go therefore. You've been given the power of the Spirit within you. Go therefore. You've been called to make disciples. Go therefore. You've been called to set the captives free. Go therefore. And Jesus does. Back to the story, verse 13. It says that when the Lord Jesus saw her, saw this woman, saw this mother caught in grief, it says he had compassion on her he had compassion he saw this woman saw her grief we don't know much about her faith up to this point we don't know whether she believed in jesus or not we don't know if she was jewish or not most believe she most likely was but we don't know and Jesus has compassion on her. There's a lot of different responses Jesus could have had. If it had been a Pharisee who had come up on the situation, he probably would not have had compassion in the moment. He would have said, hmm, two dead in one family. I wonder what sin's going on inside that house. That's what the Pharisee would have said. I wonder what's been going on here. I wonder what sin needs to be repented of. I wonder what generational sin's being passed down to cause this, too, to die. That's what the Pharisee would have said in his arrogance, in his legalism, and he would have walked off justified, feeling pretty good about himself. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus could have walked up and joined the mourners in, in their hopelessness. He could have walked up and began wailing with them in their sorrow, leaving them in it, joining them in it, and keeping them in it. But that's not what Jesus does either. It says that he had compassion on her, and he spoke. He said something. He said something that you and I probably have never said if you've been to a funeral before. You don't walk up to the one who's just lost a loved one and say, do not weep. You don't say to them, stop crying. You don't say to them, stop feeling so sorrowful. But Jesus speaks. 
He's got something to say. You better have something to say if you walk up at a funeral and to the person mourning, you're going to say, do not weep. You better have something you're going to say next that's good. And we don't have to fear because Jesus does. Now remember, I want to keep drawing us back to stories of resurrection are not just stories about physical resurrection. Stories of resurrection are meant to show us the power of God to cause a heart to be resurrected. Don't get caught up in the surface story and miss the deeper meaning. Amen? God's trying to show us something here this morning in this passage. Don't get caught up in just the surface. See the surface, but know there's meaning deeper. Jesus is trying to show us something here about hearts that are resurrected, about what you do when people are caught up in death, about what you say to somebody who's caught up in guilt and fear and shame and bitterness and addiction and their sin. He's telling us what to do here in the situation. This is a young mother. This is a, this is a young man. This is a city shrouded in death, and Jesus walks right up into it to the woman and says, Do not weep. You see, Jesus had something he had to say. He had something powerful. And Jesus cared more for this woman's soul. In fact, he cared for her soul instead of criticizing her situation. It would have been easy to do. Oh, so two have died in your house now. Have you thought about God now? Have you wondered what's going on now? Don't you see It's probably because of your sin this has happened. He didn't criticize her situation. He didn't blast the mourners. He simply walked right up into the situation and spoke life to where there was death. Now stay with me. See, that's where life happens. You can't get caught up in the external, in the trappings. When you look at the world today... There's death out there, right? There's a lot of death out there. And I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about spiritual death. There are people living in death today. They're living in anger. They're living in resentment. They're living in bitterness. They're living in addictions. They're living in homosexuality. They're living in adultery. They're living in all kinds of situations. And it is the external trappings of sin in their life. Are you with me? And all of that is the external that comes from the internal. When that stuff shows up external, there's a reason for it. And as the church, and do, we do what Jesus did. He confronted the external and he dealt with the internal. You confront sin, but you set captives free. Because captivity is existing inside when people are walking in sin captivity. Are you with me? When you see the outward trappings, it's an indicator of an inward bondage. And you can't just say to people, stop that. You need to say to people, stop that. But if that's all you got, you'll never set them free. If you can't help them deal with the deeper issues going on inside, if you can't help them deal with where they have walked in deep pain, you'll never set the captive free. You know, sometimes if you find someone who's caught in an addiction and you put them in some kind of program and you say, hey, I'm going to help you stop this addiction that you're in, 
If you just help them stop that one addiction, but you don't help them deal with the heart issue, often they turn to another addiction following it. You may have seen it if you know someone who struggled with alcohol or smoking. They deal with that one addiction. They get some victory in that, but then you find out that they've picked up another one. Maybe one that's a little bit more socially palatable. Food. Same addiction. Different form. Because they never dealt with the heart. They never set them free. There was something going on much deeper. There was a pain that happened a long time ago that they never found relief from. They never found any hope after. There was some guilt they carried. And instead of finding forgiveness for that guilt and cleansing from the guilt, they turned to something to try to soothe it. And someone told them, hey, it's wrong to try to soothe that sin in that way. Okay, I'll stop that. But if you don't help them find relief in the cross of Jesus Christ, they'll turn to something else. You're not setting captives free. You're just diverting the, the addiction around. The church is called to something much bigger than that. We are the ones who have the answer on the planet for people who are caught in sin, for people who are dead, for people who are struggling. We have the answer. We are the only ones. Just let that soak in for a moment. We have been given the word, the spirit, the power, the ability to set the captives free. We alone as the church. There's no one else. Only the church has that call and that gift. Jesus walked right up into Nain. He came with compassion. And he came to speak truth. Back to the story, verse 14. Then he came and he touched the open coffin. Mm. You know, if you were a Jew, you knew you don't touch dead things. It was written in the law. If you did, you were considered defiled. You would have to be ceremonially cleansed. You'd have to be ceremonially even removed from interaction with others. You did not touch dead things. Here Jesus moves past the crowds, his own disciples and the crowd that's with him, he moves past the crowd that is mourning for this woman, all the residents of Nain. He moves past all of them, and he comes right up, speaks to the woman, and he puts his hand out and touches the open coffin of this young man. And everything stops. It's one of those epic, dramatic movie moments. You know, there's sound and there's light and there's, there's wailing and there's movement and all of a sudden Jesus just kind of steps through the crowd and puts his hand out on this open coffin and everything just stops. Everyone turns to look. Everyone sees what is happening here. What is about to happen? This one Jesus, this prophet, this miracle worker has come in and he is coming and he is touching what is dead. You know, 
That's what God does. He comes right up to what's been dead. And he comes to speak life. And he reaches out and touches. Romans 5, 8 says that God shows us his love in that while we were sinners, while we were dead, while we were unlovely, Christ died for us. He loved us while we were dead. He cared for us. He didn't say, ooh. He didn't run. He didn't leave. He came right up into our situation and touches us with his death and his love and his resurrection. This is what Jesus does. And those who carried him stood still. Verse 14 in the second half says this, that he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Now that's just not what you do at a funeral. But Jesus is not the common man. Jesus has something powerful here. He has something that the Father's called him to do. And so he walks up to a man who's dead. He walks up into a situation where they haven't called for him. He didn't get a message that said, come to Naim. He didn't have any indication from the people that they wanted him to come, but he came right up into the situation, and Jesus came to the one who was dead, and he spoke to him, and he called him out of his death. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. In his death, he said that to him. He didn't wait till he came, up, came around a little and said, hey, you want to get up? No, he spoke his word of truth, arise. That's how you get dead people to come to life. You speak God's word to them and they come to life. Amen? That's what you do. And so if that's what Jesus does and that's what he's called us to do, then we've got some note-taking to do here for just a moment. We've got some consideration to do here for just a moment because that's what he calls us to. Then we better figure out how we're supposed to do that because there are people all around us who are living dead today. There are people all around us who are dead in their sins. They're covered over with their guilt. They've got stuff they did years ago. And though they may have even come to church, got involved in church, they're sitting perhaps in situations just like this today. And inside, they are carrying this massive burden over what they've done. And they can't shake it. They won't tell anybody about it, but they can't shake it. They can't dare speak about it, and they can't shake it. And it's causing them to live as though they are still dead. Amen? They're dead inside. And Jesus has freed us as the church to go in confidence and say to people who are dead in their sin and covered over in guilt, we're to say to them, arise to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's what you do. That's what you say to people who are dead in guilt, in shame. You say, arise to forgiveness in Jesus Christ. People who are walking about in pain and confusion and pressure in their life, and it's just like a swirling sea of storms. We, 
as the body of Christ, filled with the Spirit of God, have the power to go with the Word of God and say to somebody, arise to the peace that's in Jesus Christ. He can give you peace that passes your understanding and you can be free from these storms in your life. We're called to say to people who are still caught in their sin, who are still acting out in their sin, you need to arise to righteousness. People who are still caught in their pain, it's time to arise to healing. This is what we're called to as the church. He calls us to proclaim the message. It's funny how you have to call people out for that. You have to speak truth to them and say, hey, you need to come out of all that stuff. You need to step out of that death you've been living in. You need to come to life. You need to know the righteousness of God. You need to know the peace of God. You need to come to what Jesus has to you. You have to call people to that. They're not just going to wander out into it. They have to be called. Lazarus had to be called out of the tomb. And then he was set free. We're called as a church to call people out of their death, out of their sin, out of their confusion, out of their guilt, out of their depression, out of their addictions. Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake, you sleeping ones, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. But what it seems to me is the church today is afraid of that stuff. A little uncertain about it, a little timid about it. Rather, stay in my house, shut my door, us four, and no more. And I have to wonder if the enemy isn't just celebrating a little bit whenever that happens. When the single voice on the planet that has the power to speak truth keeps its mouth shut, we are the ones only ones on the planet who have the power to speak life. And we're called to speak it with boldness. Speak it with confidence. Speak it to those who are dead. And to call them to life. The passage goes on and it says, so he who was dead sat up. He sat right up. He was dead in the coffin, this open coffin, and he began to speak. It became very clear he was not dead anymore. Life was coming out of him. He was talking. It says, and he, Jesus, presented him, the young man, to his mother. Jesus said, mother, it's your son. He who is dead is alive. He's alive now. I'm telling you, when somebody who was dead comes to life, that's a pretty big day, right? It's pretty big news. It's a big deal. And all the wailing stopped. All the mourning stopped. The crowds began to celebrate. It says in verse 16, it says, Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. All of a sudden, it became very, very clear. God is here. God is in this place. God has visited us. We may have had struggles, failures, issues in the past, but God has shown up here today, and the evidence was that one who was dead is now alive. It became very obvious. It says in verse 17, And this report about him 
went throughout all Judea and the surrounding region. It didn't say, and this report about the young man. That's a capital H right there for him. This report about Jesus went throughout all Judea and the surrounding region. You know what happened that day? That story went viral. That's what happened. It didn't have to have Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter to make it happen. I'm telling you, when somebody is resurrected, that story will go viral. I don't care what part of the world it's in. And this one happens to be in an, an unheard of, small, difficult town called Naim that Jesus went to because his father told him to, and he spoke what the father told him to speak, and a dead man came to life. And that word from Naim went out everywhere. Everybody knew Jesus is here. God has visited his people. That's what happens when dead people come to life. Let me wrap up today with this point. The gospel goes viral when people see the dead come to life. And let me remind you one more time. The greater resurrection is not a physical body being raised. The greater resurrection is when a heart is raised by Jesus Christ. And today, we pray for revival in our land. We pray for something viral to happen. We pray for change to happen. We want change to happen across our state, our country, our nation. We want that to happen, but we've been called to help make that happen. We've been called to join Jesus in the process of causing resurrections. And I know this morning there are people that God has put in your heart and mind. There are people in your life right now that you're thinking of who are walking in some death. They're walking in some places where they are locked up in guilt and fear and shame and bitterness, and anger, and they're hurt, things that have happened to them, and they're caught up in it. They might as well be dead today because there's no life coming from them. And God keeps putting them in your heart, in your mind, and you keep praying, and you don't know why they keep showing up. I do. Because God is still in the business of resurrecting hearts. He does it through people who will go and speak life to those who are dead. That's what's happening. When you and I become obedient like Jesus did to go to places difficult to get to, to that very specific person who's still in death today and you'll choose to speak life, oh, there'll be resurrection. And when it happens, there'll be a viral story. It won't be about you. It won't even be about them. It'll be about Jesus and what he does. One life resurrected, following, loving Jesus will turn a town upside down. Amen? It turned this area, the story, upside down. The message went viral about Jesus. I know your heart breaks for people you know as well as our country. But the answer to the question lies in us, the church. It lies in us individually as believers.
So I want to ask you this question today as we close. Who do you know living in Nain? I don't mean the actual city, which, by the way, is still there. But I'm talking about who's living in a, a spiritual Nain? Who's caught up in a dead place today? Who is it that God keeps putting on your heart? Their face keeps coming to your to your mind. Their name keeps coming into your mind. You can't, you can't make it go away and you keep praying for them and, or maybe you've tried to just push it away but God keeps bringing it back and bringing it back. Would you today be willing to pray for them? Would you be willing to put yourself in a place to say, okay God, I'm not sure why you keep putting that in my mind and my heart, why you keep putting them in, in my mind and heart, But I'm going to submit myself to you today to do what you have called me to do. If you and I will get to that place, then I just can't help believe that viral revival wouldn't come. So you probably noticed on either side of the room here this morning are uh, some tables. On each of the tables is a, a lot of pages like this. At the top, it says to you, I say to you, arise. It's what Jesus said to the young man who was dead. What I'd like to do in just a moment is I'm going to pray. Then I'd like to invite you to come forward and write the name of someone that God keeps putting on your heart. Somebody that you're concerned about. Somebody that's still living dead today. And if it means you need to write on three of these, five of these, or just one of these, you go right ahead until we fill these tables with names. As a visual, as a reminder to all of us that God is still in the business of resurrecting hearts. And then we're going to pray for all these names. Amen? Because our goal is the same goal that Jesus has. It's to see people resurrected from the dead. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, I know you are still in the business of changing lives.